My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis. And Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. So it was fourth grade, and I was in gym class, and we were playing baseball. And our teacher, Mr. Hansen, picked two kids, Frankie and Johnny, both of whom were Little League All-Stars, to be the coaches, and asked them to pick from the rest of the class the members of their teams. I'm sure that this scenario isn't just unique to those of us that went to Frank K. Henley Elementary School in Clark, New Jersey. So as you can imagine, that's when the drama started to begin. Of all the people that were going to be chosen to make up the teams, the real drama was really for those who were picked first and those who were going to be picked last. Now, for the coach, this selection process is important. Does he go with friendship? Does he pick his closest and best friends? Or will that competitive nature win out and he start picking out the the best, the fastest, the all-around top athletes, regardless of friendship and loyalty? Well, in the cutthroat world of elementary sports, these two moguls went with the best. Frankie went for Lee, who was probably the, our best Little League pitcher in, in our grade. And John went with this guy named Tom, who in fourth grade was this monster of a kid. He was just huge. and would just make these monster hits. And as the baseball draft continued, the anxiety level would rise. Or I should say at least my anxiety level was rising. As I was standing on that gymnasium floor watching as each pick was being made, little by little realizing, "Uh uh-oh, there's fewer and fewer people out here. And it started getting to the point where I'm like, I don't even care which team. Like I wanted to be on that one because more of my friends are on that one. But at that point, I'm like, I just didn't want to be the last person picked. Now being chubby, way out of shape, and painfully unathletic, all my brothers could tell you stories. Painfully embarrassing, but hilarious, at least to them. Uh, very entertaining stories about how unathletic I am. For example, there was one time that I sat down in the outfield and started picking grasses because I got bored. You know, it was in center field. Nothing was coming to me, so I got tired of standing there. Anyway, the point is I can look back now and I can reasonably understand why I shouldn't be surprised I was the last person to be picked, you know. 38 years later, some therapy. You know, those wounds have healed. 
I've made peace with that. And in fact, I can understand it. Because if you want to win, if you want to be the best, you look for the best. You pick the best. And so as all lineup picks go, you start with those who would be the all-stars, the, the future Hall of Famers. And then as you finish making your selections, you try to limit your damage as much as possible before you pick the last person anyone would pick. Today's gospel is interesting because it really turns that whole playground principle upside down. We see the reverse of that happening here. God has something important to tell the entire world. Something, no, rather someone big is coming. So in these millennium before Twitter and Facebook and the Internet, actually in these millennium before the printing press was even invented, how is God going to get his message out? And in that passage that we just heard, it begins by recounting a, a couple of names that probably sounded familiar, or at least are infamous. Pilate, Herod, Annas, Caiaphas, all those guys that we know will figure prominently in Jesus' passion and death. So knowing that story, we, it's understandable they might not be on our, our list of favorites. But if you're God and you've got something and someone important to share, you have very important information you want to get out to the greatest number of people, you can't dismiss those people because they were the, the political and the religious leaders of their day. They commanded power. They had great authority over their people. They wielded all the influence that you needed. It might have been a difficult decision which one to choose, the religious or the political leader, but again, this is God, so he could use both if he wanted. In any event, one of these leaders or a combination of any of them would seem a logical choice. They would seem to make the most sense. Yet St. Luke paints the scene where we hear all those that might have been considered the best players to choose, the best options for success, were almost ignored. And instead, Luke says very beautifully that the word of God came to John in the desert. Definitely the, the last place you would think to broadcast a, a message of universal and eternal importance. Surprisingly, the word of God goes to the last person anyone would pick. Zechariah's at best eccentric son, this kid living off locusts and honey on the outskirts of all civilization. But God seemed to know what he was doing, which shouldn't be a surprise. He is God. Um, all those other leaders, who knows? Maybe they would have tried to use God to advance their own agendas. Maybe God had tried with those other leaders, but found that they were preoccupied with themselves and with what they thought was essential, too busy themselves to deal with him. John had nothing. And because of that, John was open and he proved to be the perfect messenger announcing the coming of Jesus to a world that desperately needed him then. And just one look at our news feeds today should remind us of a world that desperately needs him now. Jesus was and still is trying to come into a world waiting for its own salvation, but maybe not necessarily prepared to receive it. So John, despite his lack of power, his authority, his position or influence, despite his austere surroundings, he's open to the word of God. He receives it and is consumed with it to the point that he's going to spend the rest of his life bearing witness to the fact that God is coming to his people. 
and telling everyone and anyone who would hear him, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a path for him. Luke's story is more, though, than just a a retelling of a historical episode. The word of God is alive. The word of God is active. So St. Paul, Luke, we're, we're speaking this event in our day, in our age. It would probably start out in the second year of the presidency of Donald Trump, when Phil Murphy was the governor of the Jersey, which is new, and Susan Cole was the tetrarch of Mount Montclair State University. I think tetrarch sounds cooler than president, so I'm going to call her a tetrarch. During the pontificate of Francis and the episcopacy of Joseph, the Archbishop of Newark, the word of God came to who? Can I see a lot of us putting up walls saying, not it, not me. He's not talking about me. This doesn't mean I have to join a committee or something, right? Or something like, I'm not worthy. I'm not holy enough. There are people that are better qualified, better speakers, better people. God doesn't want me, certainly doesn't want me. The reality is he certainly does. His word is coming to us. And he does desperately want us to get over ourselves. Our sins are not that original. And they're definitely not unforgivable. John's cousin Jesus will prove that. The question is, are we actually open to receiving his word and his commission? Or are we simply just going through the motions? Because it's amazing how we live in a culture that seems to have a lot of people desperately wanting to be noticed, wants attention, want whatever it is that they do when they do it to be acknowledged, appreciated, liked, retweeted, shared. The entire culture is consumed with sharing every petty thing that we do, looking for affirmation like it matters. When for the most part, a lot of that stuff is just daily distractions. And in the meantime, everyone just seems angry. Angry over a lot of things, and a lot of them just really stupid. I mean, and that energy is just being displaced all over. I mean, last week, there was that ridiculous story about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer being a racist, bigoted thing, and people demanding it never air on TV again. Okay, Uh, okay, that's going to change anything. I mean, it's just this meaningless time waste. It's a misuse of people's energy and passion. And if we're honest, if each of us is honest, so many of us do that with so many other things right here in our own corner of the universe in Montclair, New Jersey. Don't we? Obsessing over, over meaningless stuff. Getting hung up on grudges and hurts that we've nursed and convinced ourselves that we're justified to be hurt and angry over. All the while ignoring that the word of God is coming to us here and now. The word of God is coming to bring his compassion and his forgiveness and his justice and his peace and his unconditional selfless love into all of our deserts and valleys, into our own classrooms and dorms, into our own homes and families. John the Baptist didn't desire that his fame, his sanctity, would outlast every one of those other names mentioned in that gospel as he testified to that word. That was just a result of his sharing God's word and preparing the world to receive Jesus. And the same can be true today. Valleys can be filled in and mountains can be leveled at the command of God. 
Nothing can stop his coming to us except us, except our being closed to his word and being closed to his action and his love here and now. The word of God came to John. The word of God is coming to me and you for a reason. Can we maybe stop looking at all of our faults and our imperfections and at our unworthiness and instead see how beautiful and how valuable we are in the eyes of God? Can we stop looking at ourselves as the last person anyone would pick?